Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 17th, 2022, including Cyberpunk 2077's next-gen update is here now, GoldenEye and Resident Evil 4 remakes are reportedly both on the way, I make a daring case to defend the recently released and much maligned Crossfire X, and more. I cannot remember the last time I was this excited about a new game that just kind of caught me off guard, or I guess I shouldn't really say caught me off guard because we've been talking on and off about Crossfire X since it was first announced, uh, like what, two years ago? So I knew it was something I wanted to play when it came out, but man, I did not expect to be this enamored with this game. Now, before you turn off the show and be like, wow, that's a really dumb take, you really dumb person. I know, I know, Crossfire X came out this past week. Everyone's super salty about how much it sucks. It's really funny. It's a, I Jin gave it like a 3 out of 10. It's like the worst game ever. We know, we know. But listen, I uh, this is this is this is the Sonic Unleashed of the 2020s, okay? This is the next game that I'm willing to go to bat for and to die on this hill defending. So listen, you guys can all shit on it now, laugh about how it's bad now, but I have a I have a good feeling that you know maybe maybe not at the end of this year and maybe not in two years, but at the very least, somewhere down the line, maybe it's another five or seven years from now, there are going to be people looking back and saying. Damn, I'm so nostalgic for Crossfire X. That game got such a bad rep. It was such a good game. Criminally underrated. Bring that shit back. Just the way that people talk about Sonic Unleashed today. You guys all hated it back then. I know you do, making fun of the Werehog. I remember you. I was 13 years old and bitter about it then. Now, those scars have healed, but they're still there. And I, I, I see those scars. I see the reminder of the words you said and the ways you made me feel back in 2008. But I am stronger than I have ever been before. And today, I will proudly tell you Crossfire X is a damn good game. And I will take your criticism and I will take your humiliation and I will wear it as a badge of honor god damn it because Smilegate paid me a whole lot of fucking money to say that but all joking aside I'm actually pretty excited to get into this today and we'll save it for the what I've been playing segment because we're gonna follow the regular format but I just I guess I just want to start the show by saying like I mean obviously we meet every week and we talk about Xbox but the conversation's just been so dominated in recent months by like People are throwing lots of money around, and rich people are getting richer, and all the games you love are now owned by one company, and people are arguing about, is this good? Is this bad? I don't really give a shit. At this point, I'm just like, hey, remember when Xbox On, or any video game podcast for that matter, was just about like, hey, I love video games. Here's a video game that's really fun to play. And I guess Halo Infinite was kind of that, but Halo Infinite was also plagued by just so much toxicity and complaining about the roadmap and being content incomplete and this and that. And this is nice. This is just um, a, a game that I personally am excited to talk about. I personally am enjoying a lot. And I think there is a, a very silent mi- minority out Sorry. There's probably a silent majority out there who's playing this game because it's easily accessible through Game Pass and probably having 
a better time than the internet would lead you to believe. I'll say at least that much, but let's save the discussion for when we get into the what I've been playing. Until then, guys, welcome to Xbox On, podcast with one host about French toast. Episode 141, I already decided I am titling this episode, All My Crossfire X's Live in Texas, uh, but that doesn't make sense, so I'll probably change it to something else. Anyway, guys, let's uh, start out this week's show with a couple of updates, mildly amusing stories, things I'd like to just touch on that are uh, of relevance to the Xbox market, and uh, then we can kind of slide into our comments and do the regular run of bullshit we tend to do over here. You guys, remember the other week we are talking about Platinum Games being like mildly desperate, talking about wanting to work on Scalebound again and all this shit, and well... That story is in the news again. So Platinum Games, they've been pretty vocal. Uh, the new the new CEO, well, he's worked with the company for a long time, but the newly appointed CEO, Itsuhi Inaba, has been pretty vocal lately. He's been on, a, I guess, a PR tour. He had an interview with uh, VGC this week that we're going to touch on a little bit. But I wanted to go over an update regarding the Scalebound comments because this, this story is developing in kind of a, a sad way a little bit so here's some vgc reports that platinum games chief head designer hideki uh, kamiya has said that he's totally serious in relation to recent comments about the resurrection of the canceled xbox exclusive scalebound last week kamiya attracted major press attention after he told ign japan that he'd like to open a discussion with microsoft over the possibility of revisiting the action rpg which was planned for xbox one as an exclusive but canceled ultimately in 2017. Quote, we did a lot of work on the game, and it's no use for Microsoft to keep the game in its current form, so we'd like to do something about it, he was quoted saying. He also added, Phil, let's do it together. So that was the original story, but we've since gotten more information where, and asked to elaborate on the comment in a VGC interview, uh, the newly promoted Platinum Games VP claimed that he wasn't joking about revisiting Scalebound. He says, I think it's really strange because, to be honest, I've had a lot of interviews since the project ended, and I feel like I've said so many times that I'd love to bring it back. Having gotten somewhere with it, as a creator, I'd like to see it to the end. And I have fans saying they really want to play that game, which is too bad. And I want to give that to them when I hear that. He added, that's something that I never thought I'd be saying or I'd be trying to say for years now. I've said in interviews before and gotten a reaction, but now I'm finally got a big reaction and I was glad to see that. But no, it's not a joke. I'm totally serious about it. Yes. Now the article continues when asked if Platinum Games was already in conversation with Microsoft over Scalebound, Kamiya replied with, I cannot confirm or deny anything, but we could be talking with Microsoft. Heck, we could be talking with Nintendo, Sony, Capcom, Konami, or anybody. Both Xbox and Platinum Games have previously explained that what happened to Scalebound, but in recent months, Kamiya has moved to take sole responsibility of the game's cancellation, which we discussed ad nauseum. Now, additionally, in that interview with VGC, when asked... New, newly appointed CEO of Platinum Games, Atsui Inaba, uh, said in, re in response to the question, Industry consolidation is moving at a huge pace with recent Activision, Zynga, and Bungie buyouts. Is Platinum fighting for offers? To which Inaba said, The most important thing for us is to have the freedom to make games the way we want to make games. What I hear about in recent acquisitions, I don't think Microsoft's going to start micromanaging Activision to where they take away all their freedom. I don't think it's going to be a relationship like that. I think there's going to be a lot of mutual respect, and I think Activision will be able to continue doing what they do best. That's also what's important for us to, at the end of the day. 
whatever that form that takes for us as a company. So I would not turn anything down as long as our freedom was still respected. Look at that. Look at that Japanese CEO talking about his freedoms and maintaining his freedoms. This anti-vax motherfucker. I, I want I want this man's bank account frozen. You hear that, Canada? I want you to end this man's fucking... Ex no, okay. So I wanted to read those two uh, excerpts in tandem because I think even though they don't necessarily call for one another to be related, I think there is a natural set of dots that we can connect as Xbox fans, as people who have watched Microsoft try to buy up anyone and anything with a fucking heartbeat that has, I guess, Unity installed on their PC. So... Here's the thing. First of all, in regards to the additional comments about Scalebound, Platinum Games, in my opinion, is starting to come off a little bit as uh, desperate. And, you know, sh shame on me if I've just failed to catch all the times that Platinum Games has openly said, we'd love to work on Scalebound again. Please, we love that opportunity. That We're so open to that. So my bad if I've missed that every time. But just the amount of like, yeah, we would be open to it. Please, Xbox. We're You know, it's it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It is cool because there are I know there are a lot of people even listening to this show who definitely wanted to play Scalebound, who definitely love for this game to become a reality. But guys, that that ship has sailed. And again, it just doesn't make sense for Xbox to bring it back. I, I don't I don't see how this benefits them. I just see how this would be, I guess, beneficial to Platinum because it'd have a gig. But at the same time, how is that beneficial to Platinum? Because Microsoft owns the Scalebound IP. And in the same interview, which I didn't quote here for the news, but in this same interview, which you can go read on VGC, they go into further discussion on how they want to move away from licensed IP and they want to move away from IP that other publishers own. They want to make their own IP. They want to own their own brands and, and whatnot and remain independent. So how does making Scalebound play into that? Because, yes, Scalebound's an original IP, but you don't own it. Microsoft does. So, yeah, it's great in the here and now because it's a gig. It gives you a project to work on and get paid off of. But long term, you know, you don't own that. You are you don't get, you know, if that game is a massive success, yeah, maybe you get to make a sequel. But, like, you don't, that's not your property that you can take and do anything you want with. So I don't even understand why they'd be that attached to it, aside from the fact that obviously is a creative project that they conceived and worked on for years. So I can understand that emotional attachment. But I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of desperation here. But but here's the thing is, and again, keep in mind, I just made the point, what does Microsoft get out of this? They clearly botched the development. It clearly wasn't a great relationship. And maybe Microsoft's more responsible than either of these parties have let on. I don't know. But, you know, Microsoft buying up everything. We just talked last week about, you know, the Japanese market incredibly hard for Microsoft to really get a strong holding in. Platinum Games, one of the few independent developers out there, kind of, you know, works with publishers on a on a game-by-game -game basis, isn't really tied down in any meaningful way. Speaking candidly about, you know, not writing off the idea of being acquired so long as they're able to keep their autonomy kind of in the way we're seeing Bethesda and Activision get to maintain. So I don't know, maybe this uh, sounds like Platinum Games, Xbox, if you want another Japanese team, if you want more of the Japanese market, seems like the guys behind Beautiful Joe, Wonderful 101, Bayonetta, uh, Near Automata, and all these really beloved games, and, and, and your precious canceled Scalebound, uh, seem to be saying, Microsoft, if, if you want to offer us a shit ton of money and let us kind of fuck off and do our thing like you're like Bethesda and Activision do, we won't say no. So, hey, I don't know. I just can't help but be like, this uh, This helps with their, their Japanese drought. And if anything, this is kind of a, an, a more... I know, I didn't think about Platinum before, but in a way, that's kind of a good a gooder fit 
for Xbox compared to Square Enix? No, I'm just kidding. You know, because uh, Microsoft needs a lot of that Japanese content to help widen that player base. But at the same time, you got to ease the Xbox player base in. Because if, if Xbox just hypothetically owns Square Enix tomorrow, I think a lot of us would be like, well, Xbox really isn't like the place for like the Japanese role-playing game. But Platinum makes a lot of action-oriented, straightforward kind of games. And... You know, I feel like that's a lot more in line with the Xbox brand, but it's also Japanese and pulls the Japanese market. And so I'm thinking, you know, this is a pretty good fit if you're looking for some Japanese talent while also trying to keep it in line with the Xbox brand. I don't know. We know that Xbox clearly doesn't give a shit about things fitting the portfolio because Activision literally has nothing to do with Xbox. But I don't know. I just I can't help but notice there's a there's an opportunity here. Uh, but again, at the same time, what does Xbox, you know, want to do with a... <laughs> With Platinum, especially Scalebound in particular, that project uh, doesn't really seem to bear any fruit for them. So, I don't know, just some amusing things I wanted to throw out there, maybe something to just chew on or think about. Now, another interesting amusement, and this one's an even quicker one, Bethesda, Bethesda's Tango Gameworks, the, the guy, speaking of a Xbox-owned Japanese developer, what the hell, how's that popping up in the news so much? Tango Gameworks, the team behind, originally worked on Resident Evil with uh, creator Shinji Mikami before, you know, they left Capcom and became their own team, uh, have announced they're working on a new mobile game. On Tuesday, the Ghostwire Tokyo developer uh, unveiled Hero Dice, a smartphone game currently released or planned for release in Japan. So hopefully it comes here in the West, but uh, no no promise yet. Dice Hero is a turn-based battle game that combines board games and hero battle elements. Players roll dice to to determine their hero's attacks, and they can also use cards to deploy various effects during battle. Up to four players can play at once. The game is planned to release this spring in Japan, and users can pre-register to receive exclusive items. Now, this game on paper sounds like a mildly amusing mobile game, and it's too bad we don't have it here in the West. Hopefully it's successful and it comes here, but I can't help but think about this and be like, Microsoft's mobile effort is so weird now, because obviously, again, you know, Bethesda and their teams are kind of left to their own devices and left to operate independently, so you wouldn't really see Xbox going over to Ghostwire or going over to Tango Gameworks and cramming down their throats like, no, this has got to be a Game Pass game and it's got to be this and that. But, you know, between them coming into King, the biggest publisher in the mobile space, and, you know, having things like these one-off mobile games through their Bethesda teams, they also have, what is that fucking dog, Mad Dog or whatever, that mobile developer that Bethesda owns. And all these little things here and there, it's like, it's weird to see these things that are in some way, shape, or form owned by Microsoft, but just kind of having their own laissez-faire kind of approach to market when you could be releasing stuff through Game Pass. You could use this as a push for Game Pass on mobile and all these things, but nonetheless... Interesting to see this as a, you know, obviously a side project, a smaller thing, uh, which sounds really interesting. I, I, I like these kinds of things, but it is weird to see how, you know, outside the traditional conventional gaming platform, uh, gaming space of like console games and PC games and shit like that, we are kind of going to come up on this thing of like, what does what does King mean for Xbox going forward? What do like the odd Japanese mobile game from Tango Gameworks mean for Xbox? Does it mean anything for Xbox or is this just a thing that's allowed to happen and it's just a mild amusement for those who know that like, hey, technically the people who make this are owned by Xbox, but it has nothing to do with Xbox. Who knew? You know, I don't know. But just again, another mild amusement, something to think about. I like calling this segment mild amusements. What do you guys think about that? Who gives a shit? All right. And then uh, I have one, two more real quick that I'd like to get out of here. Uh, I want to talk about game console sales again because we're seeing the PlayStation 5 Series X sales debate pop up in the news again. 
Um, so earlier this month, Sony announced that they'd shipped over 17 million PS5s to retailers at the end of 2021, at the end of December. And Ampere research directors, Piers Harding Rolls, I don't know anything I just said, uh, thinks that almost all those units completely made their way to consumers' hands by last year. However, quote, Sony ended 2021 with PS5 cumulative sell through reaching 17.1 million units around 1.7 times the performance of Xbox Series sales, the analyst said in a research that uh, note that was released this week. Quote, at the end of early stages of global sales momentum with Sony, uh, but it will be frustrating that its potential has been um, undermined by product availability. Previously, Nico Part Partners senior analysis Daniel Ahmad estimated that Xbox Series X and S had shipped 12 million units by the end of 2021, but Harding Rolls believes that the platform's actual sold-to-consumer install base was significantly lower than that. Quote, Microsoft ended 2021 with the series consoles reaching cumulative sell-through of 10.3 million units, he estimated. This is on par with the previous generation Xbox One consoles. Harding Rolls said substantial Series X shortages last year were partially offset by greater availability by the Series S console. So, if this is obviously some conflicting information, but you know, if this is to be believed, that means PlayStation 5 is almost doubling the sales of the Xbox Series S and X right now, which is not entirely unbelievable. But I would think that with an uncapped availability, you would see it be more of like a one, one and a half time sales, more than like a two and a, two time sales. I don't know, man. It's so hard to judge these numbers because the, the variable that isn't accounted for here more than anything, the thing that's harder to account for more than units sold through is actually the production output of these companies because we know, generally speaking, you know, with the chip shortage and everything going on, there is this kind of hierarchy of favoritism that's going on where, you know, like if you're Apple trying to make the new iPhone, you know, that... These, these sweatshops and fucking manufacturers are going to give a little more preference to like Apple because they got millions and millions of iPhones to pump out into people's hands, you know, by the end of the year. So that makes sense. But if you're Microsoft and Sony making the PlayStation, the Xbox, uh, so, some of these pieces of hardware are, are more important than others, right? You know, PlayStation can sell faster than an Xbox. Uh, iPhone can sell faster than both of them combined. So decisions have to be made during the chip shortage, and, and we just don't know between the relationships that Sony and Microsoft have with their chip partners and these companies uh, and, and all that, and we don't know what kind of availability they're getting and what kind of output they're getting. So who's to say that, you know, maybe Microsoft isn't, is uh, selling every console they put on store shelves, but they're getting a lower output from manufacturers than maybe Sony because, you know, PlayStation is a bigger brand that sells better than Xbox and maybe they're getting more favoritism during this chip shortage. So it's kind of hard to know either which way, but I feel like that's a really important factor we really can't properly account for without some serious insider knowledge. But just looking at this alone, uh, assuming, expecting that it is correct, which is, you know, very well might be these analysts aren't fucking idiots. They usually have pretty good sources and pretty good insider information. If they're making claims like this, eh, that's, that's, that's pretty big. PlayStation is almost doubling the sale of Xbox Series X and S, considering the fact that PS4 did that to Xbox One, but Xbox Series S and X have a lot more goodwill and a lot more of a brand and steam and kind of momentum behind it at going into this generation compared to where the Xbox One was. So that's... Not good, although we, we do know Series X and S are performing better than the Xbox One, um, just in terms of like interest and demand and 
all of that, but I, I don't know, man. Another interesting amusement, of course, we know a lot of the Xbox fanboys before you jump in here with your defense of your green brand that you love so fucking much. You only eat Lucky Charms because you're half Irish and because the other half of you is Xbox because you're a corporate-owned child. But let, I, I know, I know. Xbox isn't playing the hardware game. They're playing the, the services game. Game Pass matters more than Xbox hardware. Again, that is a fair point. That is probably true. But also, shut the fuck up. You can't tell me if you're if you're Microsoft. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, we don't care about the sales of our console. We don't mind if it sells significantly less than PlayStation because really we're only concerned about Game Pass, which doesn't even make money. You know, that's that's for us per personally. We could care less about the sales of consoles, just because their their number one priority isn't to sell the most consoles of any brand out there. Doesn't mean they're not concerned with console sales. That matters. There are people who care about that. Investors care about that. The the Microsoft internally cares about that. I promise you it is a relevant metric. If it wasn't relevant, they wouldn't have a problem admitting that they're getting clobbered by PlayStation sales and have been for over a decade. They would come out like actual grown adults and be like, oh, yeah, Xbox sold X amount of units, and now you guys don't have to guess. There, I did your work for you, so... Whatever. All right, finally, a thing I want to mention before we jump into comments is Halo Infinite. Hey, remember that game we used to talk about all the time before I got really burnt out on all the bullshit surrounding it? Halo Infinite's Forge mode has supposedly leaked. There's a couple videos circulating Twitter and YouTube showing off 10 to 40 second clips of, of you know, weather effects like adding snow to some of the big team battle maps or adding night mode to the bizarre map in, in, in multiplayer. And... I assume it's legit footage. I don't, I don't, uh, whatever. If it's fake footage, you fooled me. You fooled us all. Who gives a shit? Congratulations. You, you don't matter. Uh, but assuming it's real footage, hey, that's cool. It leaked. You can go online and check it out for yourself. I don't feel like this is anything substantial that's like really making a difference. You know, it's literally just seeing a game we already have access to, but with snow in it. I mean, it is cool to see snow effects in Halo Infinite considering the game is so entirely one note with its environmental um, diversity, but. I don't know. I, I feel like this is something many of you might be interested in. Might want to go online and take a look at for yourselves, see the environmental detail. But Forge mode, as far as we know, you know, that shit's so delayed at this point. It was supposed to come out probably sometime this spring and this summer. And now it's kind of indefinitely delayed for now. Or not indefinitely delayed. It will come out. But we just don't know when. Uh, so maybe yeah, indefinitely. Who knows? 343 has delayed the announcement of the announcement of when Forge is coming. So at this point... Uh, let's just be grateful for what we do have, which is the very base product of Halo Infinite, which is good shit. So there's all of that, you guys. I love Halo. Don't don't think I'm not a Halo fan. I love Xbox. Don't think I'm some some blue pony. I'm, I'm sure as hell not that. But with that defense, with that self-defense out of the way, I got to tell you guys, it's time for comments. You know how this works, you dumb bitch. You head on over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode of the, po uh, of the podcast, of course, the latest episode. where You're also going to subscribe while you're there on YouTube. It's a really good idea. We're almost at 900, almost at 1,000 subscribers. You know, we're getting there. We're climbing slowly. And you're going to leave a comment. You're going to say something really nice. You're going to say, Jesse. Thank you for just being yourself. I appreciate that you're going to sit here and defend Crossfire X when it is dangerous to do so because that game is so hated. But you don't you don't care. You just you just like what you like and you're not ashamed of it. I respect that about you. I like that about you. Keep doing what you're doing. Have a good day. Or you can be a dumbass and say, "Jesse, I love Crossfire X so much so that I got an X tattooed on my on the back of my hand and I go to the, I go to the, the bars and they say, "Oh, you you're not drinking because you're under 18 or because you're under 21." And I say, "No, no, I'm a Crossfire X fan. Don't you see the X?" And they say, "Buddy, here around these parts, the X means 
under 21. I'm not serving you. And now you're pissed because you can't get your Michelob Ultra. And you're like, no, 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 no. The X on my hand is because I'm a massive Crossfire X fan. And now you're pissed at me because you think I'm the one who told you to get the X tattooed on your hand. I just told you to give Crossfire X a fair chance. I didn't tell you to do shit with your body. But now here you are, completely sober, no Michelob Ultra in hand, and you are pissed. And I and you tell me about it in the comment section. I didn't do shit, okay? I'll still read your comment. All right, our first one here comes from Josiah DeRosa, who happens to be blood-related to me, and says, I think Microsoft acquisitions are going to slow down until Activision is finalized. They don't want the Fed stopping the merger due to Microsoft buying too much of the industry. That That's a that's a decent point, and actually, I, I think highly prob probable, but I don't know if either of us are smart enough to know whether or not that makes sense outside of just, like, you know, outsider putting two and two together. But uh, I, I think that's right. Hey, it'd be nice, you know, if we could at least get a year off of the uh, Microsoft acquisition shit and just be like, all right, for 2022, let's just breathe and enjoy games instead of just being like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, Xbox just bought Walgreens. Where am I going to get my COVID shot? It's OK. We're good for now. If, if, if what you said is uh, if what you said is to be believed, I think it's fair, fair, reasonably. That's sounds about right. Ace King says, yo, Jesse, did you get the new Halo comp? Oh, well, Halo Championship Series Twitch drops. I did, and you should too. Well, EA's King, I wasn't going to, but because you told me to, I sure as hell will. And that's for those unfamiliar. Twitch, Amazon Prime subscriber, I don't remember how it works, but you, you got a Twitch account. You Every month they're like, oh, here's a skin for Rainbow Six. Ah, here's a skin for Far Cry. Here's a skin for Halo. Here's a skin for fucking actual skin because for some reason someone skinned you and now you are just flesh and bones and it's really disgusting to look at. And you, you download the skin, you play in the game, and people think you matter because of it. And no, it's not an NFT. So EA's King, thank you for alerting us to that. All of you Halo fans out there, what are you doing? Go download, you freaks. Mr. Miggy writes in and says, so what you're saying is this acquisition from Sony is bigger than just gaming? They don't want Destiny led by Mickey Mouse gobbling up all the content, hence why they won't give up Spider-Man. More power to them. Also, I'm enjoying that new crispy chicken taco from Taco Bell. I want to put it in a quesadilla. Mr. Miggy, oh my god. You put that Taco Bell crispy chicken in a quesadilla. Fuck the PlayStation 5. Fuck the Xbox Series X. Fuck the rumored Switch Pro. That right there is what next-gen looks like. I love you, Mr. Miggy. Temple Knight writes in, get ready, guys. It's our, Actually, we don't, even have, we don't even have many comments this week. This is our second-to-last comment. But, spoiler alert, the next two are, are long ones. So sit down, crack open a, a, a Michelob Ultra, because you know the other guy can't, and, and get ready for this one. Temple Knight says... I think the story about Microsoft's changes to their storefront gleans even more than discussed on last week's episode. A lot of these changes seem to originate or have through lines to the Epic vs. Apple lawsuit. As discussed, if Microsoft realized that there's an impending shift in how storefronts are managed, they may have come to the conclusion that in the future that the future money is on the content owner's side as opposed to the ecosystem owner's side. If storefronts continue to be more open, we may see Sony games in more places and Xbox games in more places. I imagine how enticing to Sony an 88% cut as opposed to a 70% cut uh, to put titles on Microsoft's store to hit a bigger audience. I know we're not there yet, but the money is in the content and the best way to leverage it, the uh, content is to buy making it as accessible as possible. Sony seems to be playing ball with Bungie so far, and it definitely wasn't expected as a given. It may take another generation or so, but as the times change, so does the market. This also aligns with the rest of Microsoft's traditional business in which software content, Office and Windows, uh, imagine if they could get bigger cut of every Office sold for Mac. I think Nintendo is going to continue to be unusual because they're special. They're the special kid in the corner. 
What I really mean by that is the lack of ability, resources, and company vision to compete with Sony and Microsoft, so they do their own thing in their own corner of the market. I think that leveraging a kid-friendly approach, which is something that they know, which is supposed, which is supported by parents, while Sony and Microsoft focus on older demographics. So, Temple Knight, really well-put comment. I Almost everything you say here I, I think is really well said and well put, and I agree with predominantly. Now, I do wonder... I guess the Nintendo stuff is where you lose me a little bit because I do wonder what this means for Nintendo because I think for the here and now, and you're absolutely right, by the way, obviously, and we've people have been saying this since like the end of the Xbox 360 days before the Xbox One was even out, right? That eventually Xbox as a console is going to go away. Sony as a console is going to go away. The idea is platforms. You know, PlayStation might be a Roku TV app at, at one point, or Xbox might be, you know, a service you pull up on your computer or your fucking smart TV. Who knows? But we are working towards it, and, and I think this is a big and important generation for us historically because we are seeing the shift with Game Pass, with the acquisition spree that's happening in the industry, where we're starting to see really unusual things. Just like Sony games coming to PC, that's crazy, you know? Xbox buying Call of Duty and being like, yeah, we'll keep publishing on PlayStation. Um, all these things. Like, you you could assume if Xbox owned Call of Duty in 2010 during the Xbox 360, Call of Duty would have been an Xbox exclusive. You can assume that if Sony owned Bungie in 2013 before Destiny came out, Destiny 1 would have launched a year later as a PlayStation exclusive. You can assume a lot of these things, but this is a an important year where we are moving out a lot of habits that have been not just generational, but in indicative of the games industry basically since the inception of the NES, right? With this whole, like, the NES was the thing that started the trend. And it's funny that we talk about Nintendo, you know, maybe being the one to hold on to this, to this, um, this format because they're the ones that started it, really. Like, you look at Atari games used to be on Atari consoles and in arcades and everywhere. Atari, whatever, fucking buy the thing, whatever. But, like, it was the NES that began the trend of, no, 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 here's our box, it plays our games, and we are very protective over what gets put on this console, what gets our seal of approval, you know, what you know what games are good enough to be a part of the Nintendo brand, right? And they set that precedent for exclusive content. Why, why are people going to buy your console? Because it's going to be associated with quality content. And they they created the the whole concept of the console exclusive and whatnot that became so relevant into the Sega years and the Xbox and the PlayStation, all these other platforms. And it's just become the industry norm for so long. I mean, for so many of us, you know, we you know, if you're like me, born in the fucking nineties, Nintendo's been around way longer than you in the game space. So for for many people like myself, this is really the only way we've ever known the games industry, and the games industry is still relatively quite young. So. I think this is a very important, pivotal, transitional year where it's not so much about getting, reaching the end goal of what the future vision for gaming is, but it's about a lot of shedding the preconceived notions and the traditions that we're so accustomed to. The idea of the console exclusive, the idea of platform exclusivity, the idea of, of just single platform player bases and things like that. And so we're seeing all these games become crossplay. We're seeing all these games go multi-platform. We're seeing people like Sony and Microsoft buy huge chunks of the industry and keep it on their competitor's platform and try to get on other ecosystems and other storefronts. And it's a huge, huge shift. And it's not the end. I, I still think there is the future where xCloud, you know, streaming games through xCloud is probably more prominent than playing Xbox on your actual piece of hardware. Now, we could be really far off from that because, let's be honest, streaming technology fucking sucks right now. But, like, we're getting there. And this is a huge, pivotal transition 
in that regard. And I think I think you did a great job of, of making these points, but I don't know what to think about Nintendo because I think for the here and now during these these next few years, I think Nintendo is fine doing what they're doing. Um, clearly, I mean, look at the fucking sales of the Switch. It's, it's amazing. But I, I wonder how long they can keep it up because let's say in 10 years, no one's buying a fucking hardware, you know, Xbox or PlayStation console. They're just buying... You know, they have their subscription services and they play it on PC, they play it on streaming apps, of smart TV, they connect a controller to this device or that device and boom, they're playing whatever. Let's just say that's 10, 15 years from now, maybe at, at the earliest, right? I don't know if Nintendo's still selling specifically just their hardware with just their games and everyone's just tailoring specifically to that one skew. I don't know how that works for them. I, I feel like at some point, it's got to get to a point where the way you play games absolutely everywhere, whether it's Xbox or PlayStation or PC, Google or Amazon, whatever it is, is just so different and convenient and accessible in every fathomable way that I don't know if Nintendo can still just be like, well, that's great that you played God of War 7 on your PC with an Xbox controller because you have a PlayStation Now account linked to your Steam. That's great for you, but if you want to play Pokemon 1, 2, 3, ABC, you got to get a Nintendo Switch 4, and you got to buy the game physically at Target, even though we didn't manufacture enough physical copies of the game, and it sold out opening week because I guess it's 1993. And it's like, fuck. I mean, I don't know. It's Nintendo's the hardest one to pinpoint because what they're doing right now is working so well for them, but it can, it can change so fast, and I, I don't know. But this isn't an Xbox podcast, so fuck you, Nintendo. Deal with your own problems. We're going to continue to talk about Xbox. So that this this next one and the final comment comes from Moose, who wrote in. He actually DM'd me on Twitter, and he had some really interesting stuff to say. So I asked him, hey, do you mind if I cut this up a little bit and read it on the show as a comment? And he said, yes, but only if you pay me a lot of money. So I just got back from the bank. I took out a huge loan. Moose, I hope you are loaded. I hope you enjoy that Maserati. But more importantly, I want to make it very clear. What we're about to discuss is the last time I want to talk about Xbox and Activision and this acquisition and all this bullshit for a while. You know, unless the news warrants it, unless, you know, next week we get news that Bobby Kotick actually um, actually is going to stay at Activision and he personally wants to reboot Guitar Hero, but he wants all the songs to just be Rick Springfield's Jesse's Girl, but instead of Jesse, it's just Bobby, so it's like, you know, I wish I had Bobby's Girl, and then he's like, where where can I threaten to murder my assistant like that? And we're just like, god damn, this game sucks, but Bobby Kotick's doing it, and Microsoft's enabling him, and we gotta talk about it because it's the news. Unless that happens, we're done with this talk for a while, because it's fucking boring, it's tiring, it's exhausting, it's dividing us, and most, most importantly... I want to talk about video games. I don't want to talk about video game losers. I want to talk about video game winners like Crossfire X. Okay, bear with me. So Moose writes in, we had a comment discussion months ago about the consolidation of the industry, and I wanted to talk to you more about your general message in that episode. The question I posed to you is, is your disgust for this general topic of late-stage capitalism, or is it disgust for Microsoft buying Activision specifically? I can get behind the general hate for the capitalism in today's world, but what I can't see is how a gamer, even more specifically an Xbox gamer, this situation could work out any better for us when you look at the industry and where it's going, whether it's Microsoft doing it or not. I think the reason it frustrates you is that most of us are analyzing this as a 
what's the realistic best case scenario for me? If Microsoft didn't come out swinging this gen, Sony would have been charging 120 bucks for only games worth playing on a console and only get to play two games a year. Activision was going down in flames and personally, I don't want Tencent being the steward of IP uh, that has meant the most to me my entire life. I can agree this is the most big dick capitalist power play that Microsoft has made, but it's in realistically the best option in a world we live in. Maybe I'm too old now and my social justice crusade has all but vanished compared to the 15 years ago, but as a gamer, I don't see a better outcome looking at what's available right now. I want to get into this uh, in a couple ways. Some of it I fa fair and accurate. Some of it, especially the stuff you say about Sony, I really disagree with. But let me just, because I'm, I'm stupid, I didn't think straight about how I wanted to approach this. Let me just read directly what I responded to you with on Twitter. Um, and then I'll read your response and then we can talk. I said, personally, I just don't think this type of, and, and this might sound really familiar to you guys, because I think this is basically what I've been saying on the podcast. So I just don't think this type of move is good for the industry as a whole. It's undoubtedly great for Xbox and Xbox users, but my frustration and and in my concern is that this is only a short-term win, as well as everyone's seeming indifference towards the tech conglomerates. These acquisitions raise the barriers of entry so high that it's become unfathomable to see a future in which anyone can join the competition outside of big tech and old guard companies like Sony or Nintendo. For obvious reasons, this is bad for consumers. I also worry about the future of Microsoft, and I'll stop there. I guess fair enough, this is you saying maybe it's just me being grumpy about late-stage capitalism. Yeah, maybe. Sounds like it based on what I said there. But continuing on, I said, I also worry about the future of Microsoft not being able to properly manage all these teams. Sure, feels great today, but Microsoft have historically botched opportunities with teams like Bungie, Epic, Rare, and more. I just don't have faith that these studios are better off all being under one indefinite hold from one entity. The more independent these companies are from one another, the more potential there is for a variety of, of approaches to gaming. The more these companies are under the same umbrella, the more potential there is for the industry to become as samey and uninspired as we're seeing become. Plus, if Microsoft were to have another Don Magic's-type helm Xbox in the future, I would worry about what it means for all of these many, many studios they now own. So, when we finally wrap up with this quick reply, Moose says, Hey, I see your points, and I think that this is the capitalism issue un that underlies the entire world, not just gaming or Microsoft. I get your reservations about the future of Microsoft, but my reservations about the future of Sony or any big publisher are even greater if I consider how the evidence in front of me now. I don't see a world where realistically this turns out better. When you do talk about this, talk about what a better alternative would have been for Activision under the assumption they couldn't repair themselves. Because I completely believe they would have collapsed, at least practically in reference to IPs, without inside, inter without outside intervention. All right, I don't know if I even need to read all that, but the, the most of it speaks for itself. I want to address, I guess, mostly with that context all laid out, your specific question about how this could have worked out better under the assumption that Microsoft basically would, or that Activision would not have been able to fix themselves because they'd be fucked and they'd fall apart. There's a couple things you say here I just don't agree with. First of all, I don't know personally what Sony-related information you're you're referring to that suggests that, you know, let's say a world without Xbox, Sony would be charging $120 for a video game, you know? Oh, I guess what you're saying is $120 meaning two two big releases a year at $60 each. I, I really don't know what you mean by that. And the other hang-up I have is you saying under, you know, analyzing this through the guise that Activision could not repair themselves. Th this is the thing. Let me text Sony first because that, that just an order of operations. Sean Layden said before he left 
PlayStation a few years ago. Basically, the games industry is in a situation where it's completely fucked. Uh, Sean Layden used to be the head of, of PlayStation. He said, more or less paraphrasing, the cost of AAA game development is skyrocketing so much right now to a point where we cannot continue to sell games at $60. It's not, it's not feasible. It's not working. When you consider the budgets going into these games, when you consider the marketing going into these games, and when you consider the amount of development time, because you might be saying, well, Jesse, movies cost sometimes $200, $300 million to make. I don't understand what the big fuss is about a multi-million dollar video game. Yeah, but you know, here's the thing about a movie. It's made in like 8 to 15 months, and then it makes its money back, and then some immediately, whatever. That's how you make a Star Wars movie. A video game is incubated, especially nowadays, where the the average first-party game incubates for like 4 to 8 years. It's insane. So you invest hundreds of mil- sorry, you hundreds of millions of dollars into a project that you don't see a return on investment for for almost a decade, and the cost just keeps going up and up and up, and the amount of people you have to rely on to make these projects is going up and up and up. And then yeah, these games generally, you know, these AAA Sony games and stuff like that, make a decent return on investment. But it's only after so long, and it's just not viable, it's not feasible. We need more games to be scaled back in scope. Instead of just trying to make every game the biggest open world, the most detailed world, the highest fidelity world, you know, embracing games that are, like, artistically creative, or maybe smaller or more linear in scope and scale, and trying to explore the spectrum a little bit. And this is what I'm always talking about with with Game Pass, and in, in terms of Game Pass, the thing I think is most beneficial to having Game Pass and having game developers work for game for, with Game Pass in mind, which is that without the whole price tag associated with a game, we now have this ability to think about games in a more fluid way of like, let me just make an experience I want to make instead of making a game under the guise that I have to hit these bars of like, a game has to have this much fucking peach fuzz on the main character's face because I'm a stupid little Twitter fanboy. Or under the guise that like, we have to compare the fruit in Call of Duty versus the fruit in Halo because you're a stupid little Twitter cut boy and you have no life. We need to be able to let creatives make games like, hey, this is the experience I want to make. This one happens to be a massive open world game that's really high fidelity. This one happens to be a game that's basically Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but in the backyard, and it's cartoony and it's fun. And it takes, like, 20 people to make the game. You know, of course, referring to Obsidian's game Grounded. And I love this spectrum of, like, we can have Starfield and Grounded release in the same platform and both be considered first-party content. Because Game Pass removes the whole concept of, like, uh, is a game $60, is a game $70, and it just says, here are games, explore them, play them, enjoy them. The developers will continue to make what it is they want to make. And so I think Sony, so, Sony talked about this becoming an issue, or Sean Layden did as he left, and we see the current Sony um, leadership with, under Jim Ryan everything continue to really push for this. You know, we, we are the premier studio that makes these $60, $70 AAA experiences. And I think they want to beat that drum. But we're also starting to see Sony say, with moves like acquiring Bungie, this isn't working for us. We this, this, is, this cannot last forever. It's good now in the short term. But in the long term, we're going to have to play ball. We're going to have to have a games as a service. We're going to have to have more multiplayer content. Because you can't have a game like The Last of Us Part Two release and win game of the year and sell really really well but then just be like okay naughty dog's gonna fuck off for a decade now see you when we see you because that's not that's not viable for them so we're seeing sony actually kind of be 
have their hand forced a little bit by looking around and seeing what Epic's doing and, and, and Xbox is doing and what Nintendo's even doing because Nintendo has plenty of smaller scale games and smaller scope games. You look at like the Pokemon output, these games are being put out in like two years because, well, is Pokemon Arceus a really beautiful game? Absolutely not, but they were able to make it a decent amount of time because they, they didn't focus on trying to make it the biggest, most Skyrim game of all time. And, you know, this new Kirby game that's about to come out looks incredibly unique and fun and creative, and I can't wait for it. And guess what? It, it, it didn't have to be The Last of Us Part Two in terms of production. And it's still going to sell really, really well. And so I think Sony is actually kind of having their hand forced by looking around and seeing how the competition approaches things where Nintendo's not always about the highest fidelity and therefore shaving a lot of development time off of not having to make things arbitrarily the most next-gen thing ever. And Xbox is having this creative freedom that Game Pass affords them where their developers can just flex their creative muscles and make whatever experience they want to make, whether it's the biggest game you've ever played or the smallest little bite-sized game, you know, like the Gunk, obviously not an Xbox first-party developed game, but an Xbox console exclusive, a Game Pass exclusive that is really really awesome it's a fucking awesome four hour adventure game that probably took a couple years to develop and not a whole lot of money and it's really really good and i i think playstation is in the position where they're on their heels a little bit reacting to this and not doubling down on going against this grain that's why they bought bungie that's why they're focused so hard on trying to get multiplayer content and investing in all these third-party exclusive relationships they're doing and all these new studios they're forming and all these port studios and multiplayer studios and we know they got all those guys that used to work at was it fire sprite is the name of the team Guys that used to work at Treyarch, now making a first-person shooter for PlayStation. So we we know that Sony is trying to pivot because this isn't going to work for them forever. So I wouldn't say that Sony's plan or, or, or guys for the rest of forever is the $60 Uncharted God of War type experience exclusively. But man, that was way too long-winded. I, I, I'll speed it up and say, with the other point, the Activision not being able to save itself, I, I gotta say I don't agree with this. Let's let's play out the scenario where Microsoft doesn't buy Activision and how things would have gone with Activision. I, I think if Activision remained independent, this California investigation that they're under would have continued on for probably another two years or so, probably a couple more years of investigations, of lawsuits, of tr court trials, settlements, all these things. We would have got more and more dumps on all this bad shit that's happening, bad players, this, that, and the other. And I think eventually it would have got to a point where the hand was forced and, and Bobby Kotick would have had to leave. I think investors would have finally reached a point where they're like, hey, you got to go. It's just bad business to keep you around. And Bobby Kotick would have been forced to sell his shares of the company, which is a massive amount because he basically is Activision. And he would have walked out a absurdly disgusting, filthy, rich man. And basically gotten off easy because that's what happens to terrible people. They get off easy all the time. And then Activision would have to get a lot of new leadership. They'd probably appoint a lot of new leaders from around the games industry. And they'd probably do a lot of reforming. I'm sure a lot of things would get better at Activision. And a lot of things would stay the same because every company has probably terrible shit going on behind the scenes. And unfortunately, and probably most likely, what would really happen at the end of the day is people would just kind of stop caring and start forgetting about this whole thing and just let it go by the wayside. That's kind of what would happen, I think. Call of Duty would continue to sell. I think when Modern Warfare 2 comes out this fall, you guys are going to see that. Activision wasn't fucked. They just had a bad year with it, Vanguard, and Vanguard still is like the best-selling game of the year, so don't feel bad for them. And I think it would be only a matter of time before they'd start exploring other 
games again, although I think it would be only after hitting a low. So would you immediately see a turnaround of like, we're going from everyone's working on just Halo and, or Halo, everyone's just working on Call of Duty and, and fucking Overwatch or whatever, or Diablo, to, oh man, we're going to make a Crash game, we're going to make Skylanders, we're going to make fucking all the games we used to make, we've got Spider-Man back, we got everything. No, I don't think that would happen, but... What I do think would happen is over time, they would kind of have their hand forced. I think without Bobby Kotick at the helm, you would see a push probably from investors at some point for more of a diverse portfolio, more diversity in their games lineup, just for financial stability and security. And we would start to see other things trickle back in. It might be revitalization of certain old IP. It might be the introduction of new IP. But I, I don't think you would get a nostalgic or turn to form Activision that we all want to see. But I think you would see an Activision start to get its hands into other places. And it would take time. It would take years. But I think it would happen. I do not think for one second Activision would crumble and disappear. I really do not think that would happen. And now you said at least practically in reference to its IPs. Um, I guess, yeah, if you're talking specifically about IP in the way we knew it, yeah, maybe. I, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say, oh, man, we would definitely get Guitar Hero back. We'd definitely get Tony Hawk back. We'd definitely get Crash and Spyro back. Eh, I, don't, I don't know. But I don't think it would be Diablo and Call of Duty for the end of for the rest of forever. I think that would be a it would be a phase and it would suck. But I think we'd see them come out of it at some point. Um, it would just be a lot slower of a burn again. And I made and I've defended the point. I get it. Microsoft's acquisition of Activision sounds good because it should make culturally Activision a better place to work faster than if they didn't own them. And I think it will leverage some of these IP or liberate some of these IP and maybe liberate some of this talent to do a little more than just Diablo and, and Call of Duty. I, I agree. I just think that is a short-sighted thing because you're, you're talking about the problems we have with Activision today that we want to see addressed today in exchange for the future of the company permanently, which is we don't know what Activision looks like in 10, 20 years under Microsoft but I assure you it would be better to have Microsoft and Activision independent of one another in 10 or 20 years because the more dispersal, the more independence, the more variety in the games industry, the better it is for the consumer, the better it is for the developer, and the more choice and variety and fluidity of ideas and whatnot we'll have. But I, again, I'm so tired of talking about this. I understand a lot of people disagree with my takes on that. I, I respect that. I understand that. That is okay. You can have that. I don't think I'm 100% right about anything I say on this show. So I am willing to admit if I'm wrong or if a take of mine is dumb, but that is just how I feel at this point in time. I greatly appreciate you writing in, Moose, about this. But I got to say, if you're going to write in for next week, don't write in about Activision. Write in about Crossfire X, which we're about to talk to, because we're, which we're about to talk about because we just finished up with the comments, and now we're going to talk about what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. Now... What I, what I want to talk to you guys about is something a little more serious. And I, I may have come up on the show in the past, but I didn't realize what a problem this was. So Del Taco, many of you guys are probably familiar with it. It is a popular Tex-Mex taco chain, kind of like the competitor to Taco Bell. It exists in the U.S. I don't know if it exists anywhere else. I don't know if you guys have Del Taco in the U.K. or Canada or Mexico. I don't know. It's your problem. If you don't have it, do yourself a favor. Pat yourself on the back because Del Taco is not good. I didn't know about Del Taco until I was in high school because Del Taco was not prominent at all in the state of Georgia. And we had one open up very far away from where I lived. At one point in high school, I don't remember. I think the only reason I found out about this place was because it was a few miles away from um, a venue that my high school band used to play all the time. 
So like we were just driving around during after a concert or something, and we found Del Taco. Anyway, it was like this. Um, it was like a, a religious experience for us. I remember at the time because it was like none of us had ever heard of this, and we did the research. And it's like okay, this is apparently like this fast food place that comes from California. It's not really common here. This is a new place. Let's give it a try. It's right across the street from Taco Bell. It's clear they they, they mean business. I don't know what it was back in those days, but I thought Del Taco was incredible. I thought their tacos were amazing. I thought their burritos were amazing. They have cheeseburgers, and even those are good. And, of course, the best thing at Del Taco is their dessert, their caramel. Uh, it's these, like, caramel cheesecake empanada things. No, they're not empanadas. They're like, oh, they're, are they, they're not churros either. What are they? doesn't matter. They're like fried. They're almost like egg rolls, actually. I think uh, Whatever it is. They're like caramel cheesecake fried desserts, and they're fucking amazing and i guess it was the newness of the concept or the excitement of discovering you know an alternative to taco bell which had been my church for the entirety of my life up until that point but for the longest time throughout those high school days i was convinced that del taco was the shit so much so that like there would be like random tuesday nights at like 11 o'clock at night on a fucking school night where i would go out with my friends and we would just drive 40 minutes out of the way to go to Del Taco and eat there in the drive-thru, like go to the gym, work out and be stupid kids and just basically avoid, you know, responsibility and then eat at Del Taco. And I'd be like, wow, eating 3000 calories at 12 o'clock at night on a school night. This is a very smart idea. I'm going to a good college after this. And just, I just remember being so good. But then something happened. Years went by. I matured. I got older, financed a car, got a girlfriend. I don't know. Del Taco just stopped tasting good to me. It continued to expand in Georgia. It continued to get new branches. And I just remember being like, this is still really good, but it's not quite as good. And I, I, I never wanted to admit it because I was embarrassed about it. But at some point in college, I reached my breaking point. I said, you know what? Taco Bell is superior to Del Taco. End of discussion. However, Del Taco does have really good dessert. I'll give them credit. Their churros are good. Their fried caramel cheesecake bites are really, really good. But man, their food, their tacos suck. Their burritos suck. And they have the Taco Bell problem where every time you go there, the menu is like completely fucking different. But it's like they get rid of everything good on the menu and replace everything with something slightly worse every time. And like they, there was a time they had like a surf and turf burrito. It was like fried shrimp and steak with rice and guacamole and beans and all this shit. And I was like, okay, this is pretty good shit. And then they got rid of it. And I was like, okay, well, now they got this new thing. It's like steak and cheese and rice and beans and, and french fries and like a California guacamole burrito, whatever. It was it was pretty good. And then they got rid of it. And like, so anyway, what I'm getting at is they, they recently opened a Del Taco, not too far from where I live now in Florida. And we have Del Taco elsewhere in Florida, but whatever. This is the first time I've been here maybe four or five years. It's been a minute. It was sometime in college last time I went to Del Taco. So I, I told my girlfriend, pull over. We're going to Del Taco. It's been too long. This is happening. My mistake. It was one of those Sundays where I had been fasting the whole day and I was saving all my calories for dinner. So I was like, been a long time since we did Del Taco. This will be a good thing to talk about on the podcast. The boys will love this one. Del Taco was disgusting, man. It was so fucking disgusting. I got these tacos, which I guess are supposed to be like a cheesy gordita crunch or something like that. But they're like, it's like a soft taco shell with melted cheese on top and then another soft taco shell. And then they put all the taco content in and fold it up. So it's like a double layered taco with cheese in the middle of the two tortillas. So cool. So creative. This thing sucked. It literally just tasted like flour tortilla and grilled chicken. I'm like, throw some lettuce on here. Throw some tomatoes. Throw some sour cream. Get me some special sauce. Give me something. Give me like a creamy ranch sauce or like a fucking creamy avocado sauce. Nothing. Like Taco Bell knows how to elevate things to the next level, but nothing. This literally just tastes like chicken and tortilla, and it was boring. 
And then I got the steak burrito because they had no interesting burritos on their menu anymore. And the steak burrito sucked. It was like so poorly prepared where it was just like steak and guacamole in the, in the top. The middle was just steak and beans. and The bottom was just steak and rice. It was a terrible, poorly mixed together burrito that was like so much disappointment. And, and, and I, listen, here's the thing. I'm not in high school anymore. I can't sit around and lie about what I think and feel to be cool around my friends and to fit in. I'm not in college anymore. I'm not trying to discover myself and find myself and try to be something something greater than what I am. I am an honest fucking working class American cuck. And I love fast food and I just got to call it as I see it. And here, here's the deal. Del Taco, you suck. You suck. You suck. You suck. I'm tired of defending you. I'm tired of trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. Your caramel cheesecake bites are phenomenal. I'll always defend that one and only item. But every now and then you meet a person who tries to put up the whole like hipster argument like, oh yeah, Taco Bell, Taco Bell's cool. I'm a Dill Taco guy. It's like, shut the fuck up. Stop acting like one warrants the, the, the introduction of the other because it doesn't. Stop trying to act like just because there's a similar, just because someone has a taco on their menu and it's fast food and someone else has a taco on their menu and they're fast food does not mean they're the same fucking thing, okay? Just because I play Xbox and you have Teams meetings on a fucking headset doesn't mean we're, we're, we're gamers, okay? So stop being hipster about it. Stop being cool about it. Del Taco is not good. Do not defend it. If you are defending Del Taco, you are on an FBI watch list. I want you to know this. I know this because I helped write the list. I was contracted to write it. Yeah, I'm taking money from more people than just Smilegate, you dumb idiots. So stop defending Del Taco. Stop eating at Del Taco. There is a reason why there are fewer Del Taco locations in existence than Taco Bells. And there's a reason why there's a Del Taco. Every time you find a Del Taco, it's across the street from a Taco Bell. And it's because Taco Bell, and this is this is Taco Bell saying this is Taco Bell saying this to Del Taco. This is from their perspective. You hate me because you ain't me. Fuck you, Del Taco. All right. With that out of the way, guys, I think it's time to finally talk about Crossfire X and what I've been playing. Now we're into the show. It's always the it's always the slow news weeks where we where we banter the most, huh? So Crossfire X is out now and it is creating so much controversy. I, I guess not so much controversy. It's just it, people are <laughs> really hating on uh, hating on it, and it's uh, it's actually like kind of unanimously being panned as just like this actual shit game where. You're seeing already a lot of, like, worst game of 2022. It's like, dude, chill the fuck out. We're, like, five weeks into the year. Calm down. But, I mean, I I don't know. Whatever. So, here's the thing. The game came out, what, Thursday last week? And I was at work that day, and I was was pretty excited, actually. I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Crossfire X, I'm definitely jumping into that shit. I want to give it a go. And I noticed all day, like, more and more, like, my Twitter feed was just people like, oh, Crossfire X. Ooh, I'm like, oh, what, what, what? I just kept seeing it, like, throughout the day, it was just, like, more and more prominent people in, in the game space and the Xbox fan scene were just like, this game is garbage. This game, this game sucks. It aims like shit, plays like shit. It's a terrible fucking game. I can't believe it released like this. What a, what a disappointing mess. I was like, oh, no, I was so excited to play this game. So whatever, you know, I'm not, I, I don't let opinions like that deter me. You know, if people like saying it's the greatest thing in the world or the worst thing in the world, I'm still going to try and play it for myself, especially if it's on Game Pass and it's free, whatever. So I go home, I download the game. I'm like, ignore everything you heard. We're going to play this game. We're going to give it a go. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but we boot, I booted up and I'm like, okay, so the multiplayer is broken into two halves when you get into the main menu. It is, there's modern mode and classic mode. I'm like, okay, well, 
it's a first person shooter. I'm I'm gonna start with like free for all or team deathmatch and just get a feel for the game, right? Uh, modern mode. Oh, there is no team deathmatch. Okay, well fuck it. Let's go to classic mode. Okay, there's there's team deathmatch. We jump in. I why I keep saying we? It was me. It was me playing a video game by myself. Calm down, Jesse. I, I jumped in to team deathmatch and immediately was was met with, oh, everyone's right. This game is shit. Fuck. Because you load in, and immediately the aim is so off in this game. It's so bad. So I play one match on Team Deathmatch, and halfway through the match, I'm like, I'm not having fun. This is impossible to aim. I can't do this. It's overly sensitive. There's no aim assist. There's no snap. This, this, the, the recoil is absurd. I just cannot handle this shit at all. And so I finish the match, and then I immediately text Kronky. I text my brother. I said, well, the, uh, the responses online were, were right. The game is absolute shit. This game is unplayable. Fuck. And I was so disappointed. And I was like, well, I already downloaded the game. I'm here. Let's just figure out what the hell modern multiplayer is versus classic multiplayer. Who knows? And then I jump into to modern multiplayer. And I'm like, also, let me adjust this. This Let me try to make these controls better. So I just lowered the sensitivity about a, a little bit. You know, drop it 10 points, whatever. And, okay. Immediately, I noticed two things. In modern multiplayer, the game just feels completely different by on its own. And adjusting the sensitivity helped a lot. So immediately I jump into modern multiplayer. I'm like, wait a minute. Now this is fun. And it's this game called Point Capture where it's basically like domination, but even cooler because you start out in this top half of the map where you're in, the map where you're in this building and there's these two objectives and it's like domination. You have to fight to control the objective and eliminate the other team. But then towards like the last third of the match, the map evolves where like the building starts blowing up and you have to take these zip lines out the building down to down to the streets where you continue the final third of the battle with a new third objective point. And now you're in like basically a new map fighting over a new objective point, and it's fucking awesome. And I'm like, okay, this is this is a very cool concept for a game, and immediately, like, the shooting feels good, the aim down sights feels good, because in classic mode, you don't have ADS or sprint, but in, in modern mode, you do, and I'm like, okay, wow, this is, this feels like two entirely different games, and so I immediately text Kronky again after that match, I'm like, okay, hold up, apparently this game's really good, I don't, I don't understand what this is, but the modern mode's really fun, and, and the classic mode sucks. So then I start playing more and more of the game, and I played the uh, search and destroy mode on modern. I'm like, this is also really good. I'm not even traditionally a search and destroy fan, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it. So I I'm trying to make sense of what this game even is because I'm like, how how am I loving one half of the multiplayer experience and hating the other half of the multiplayer experience? So I'm playing it, and I'm like, okay, let's try to understand what this game is. And then I come back the next day on like Friday night. All right, no, Saturday, I, I come back, and, I, and I'm going to play it again. And I, I this time, I'm like, Cronky, you want to play with me? Let's, let's, let's do this. So we start playing together, and we go through all the modes. We do, like, a game on every mode type in the game. And we're just playing around, getting more and more accustomed to the controls and the different modes and everything, and realizing this game, once you get the hang of it, is actually so much fun. And it's, it's really weird, because I, I will... Obviously not try to defend certain things. There are obvious issues with this game, and it needs criticism. Um, the aiming is a little wonk and is a little weird. It needs some aim assist. It needs some tooling and sensitivity controls and some more uh, customization with, with and tooling with the controls, for sure, especially when you're playing classic mode. But what I found was once I adjusted the sensitivity and just played the game more, I got really used to it, and then it stopped feeling like a problem for me. So now I play, regardless of whether I'm playing modern or classic mode, 
I feel completely fine with the controls. It doesn't bother me at all. It's it's just really weird like that. Now, I still think there are ways they can improve it. It is a little more like a, a Wolfenstein kind of like PC aim on a console and a little, or like a Doom kind of aim and a little less like a, like a Halo or Call of Duty with like a lot of aim assist and snap-on kind of aiming for control. So I would like to see a little more of that. Actually, it's kind of... It, it, the game it reminded me of the most from a control perspective was actually Battlefield, which it, it, it's beyond me because Battlefield gets so much praise even on console. And Battlefield, for as much as... I want to like that game it feels like ass and always has felt like ass on Xbox this is my problem with with Battlefield is I want to love Battlefield but if you don't play it on a PC the game sucks and so that's kind of how I felt with this a little bit too I was like this kind of feels like Battlefield a little bit but with a touch of Call of Duty in it to help balance it out and make it a little more fast-paced and fun and frenetic and so I I, I don't know. Like I, I'm watching everyone freak out about how the game controls like ass and is terrible. I'm like, you, you got to first of all adjust the sensitivity and play it. You know, play it a couple rounds, G get a feel for the game because I cannot imagine people saying the game is unplayable. Like I, I could understand the game is getting five out of ten, six out of ten, whatever. It's a mediocre game. It's an average game. It's whatever game, right? I don't understand the game is getting like twos like one out of five and two or three out of ten like that i don't understand because the game it's not broken it is not abysmal like it is playable you just have to get used to it and so i started trying to do some research well why does the game feel so weird like this is it just a really bad pc port turns out crossfire x is actually a sequel or you know sequel of sorts to a really popular free-to-play online multiplayer game called Crossfire. And I knew it existed. I knew it was a really huge game in Korea and China. But what I didn't realize is this is also a game that was released in the West. And what I actually found out is Crossfire, the original Crossfire from like 2007, this is actually a game I used to play as a kid. I completely forgot about it. I had to go do my research, look up YouTube videos, try to learn more about the developer, the history of the franchise, what the fuck is going on, why it's, if it's supposed to be like this. And I was like, oh my God, this is that game. I have so many memories of playing this like in fifth grade and I don't even remember it. And... So, like, now I have some nostalgic tie that's kind of, like, making me more invested in figuring out what is going on with this game. Why is it so weird? Why are the menus, like, PC menus, and the controls are so much worse in one mode than the other, but I was able to get used to the controls? And why is the content so bare bones? And why is the battle pass so fucked, which we'll talk about in a second? And why is every mode only have one map affiliated with it? It feels like a really weird free-to-play game, but also kind of feels like a mobile game, but also feels like a really high-quality console shooter, and I don't, I don't know what to make of this game. I'm so, I'm so conflicted. I spent the like almost the entire day Saturday playing this game endlessly, and I just came up with so many things I loved and so many things I hate about this game. This game is by no means perfect. I'm not here to tell you Crossfire X is a 10 out of 10. Don't listen to the noise. Go play this game. I'm here to tell you Crossfire X is probably objectively like a 6 out of 10 in my opinion, but I'm having 10 out of 10 level of fun with this game. Like, if I didn't have to be recording the podcast right now, I'd be playing this game. If I didn't have so much shit going on with my day job right now that's really tying me up with all my free time right now and driving me nuts because of it, I would be playing the fuck out of Crossfire X. I am trying so hard right now to carve out as much time as possible this weekend to play this game, even though I know I don't really have a lot of free time right now. I, I cannot stop thinking about this game. I cannot stop wanting to play this game. And... Yeah, it's broken in a lot of ways. The controls need to be improved greatly. And the developers since come out and, and, and admitted fault for this and said they're working on things. They have hot patches coming out in the next week. They have big roadmap patches coming out down in, in, in March. And there's lots of content on the way, whatever. 
I I am enjoying the fuck out of this game. I, I just don't know what to say. I got so used to the controls once I tweaked them a bit and just played the game. And I, I think a lot of people are mis- comparing and analyzing this game a lot of people are like well this is supposed to be like a korean free-to-play call of duty game on console no it's not actually this is actually crossfire traditionally is like a free-to-play answer to counter-strike so it's not supposed to be a running gun shooter it is supposed to be a little slower a little more tactical but it it does have a little bit more of a of a fast-paced momentum thing anyway uh, it's very much like counter-strike and so to even make sure i wasn't just talking on my ass and that i actually you know, could compare the two appropriately and say, yes, this is this is true. This is more of like a Counter-Strike type experience. I went ahead and I downloaded Counter-Strike Go this weekend and I played a little bit of that. I played a little bit of it on Sunday. I played a little bit of it the other night with my brother, my nephew, just because they're huge Counter-Strike players and I wanted them to take me through the ranks a little bit and help me get a feel for the controls and the mechanics of the game. And I got to be honest, this game doesn't feel like a shitty, shitty console shooter. It feels like Counter-Strike on console, which means... You're not supposed to run and gun. You're supposed to be a little more tactical and steady when you shoot. Recoil on these guns is super fucking high. So when you shoot, you're not always getting dead laser accuracy like Halo. You're supposed to get scatter shots and be a little more tactical and thoughtful about your shooting. And I think a lot of people are playing this game right now, downloading it, trying it out and going, "What? A, wait a minute, this isn't like Call of Duty or Halo where it's just like laser shots, they're dead, you move on. This is like giving me trouble. Like you had to like think about this game as you play it. And listen, if, if people are playing this game and they're not enjoying it, that's completely valid. But I think the problem is there's a lot of misinformation going out there about like what kind of game this is trying to be and therefore the game is failing at that. But I think people don't realize it's like this game is supposed to be a little like it's supposed to be a little more challenging to get a shot. It's supposed to be a little more of a task to figure out each gun because they all handle different from one another. Like this is supposed to be the way the game works. And the more and more I'm playing it, like don't get me wrong, there are games where I'm creaming and then there are games where I'm getting my ass kicked because I can't keep up with some of these more advanced players don't get me wrong I'm not like just destroying this game but like it's fun and it's different and it's a challenge but it's also addicting as hell the game has a really high time to kill kind of like Call of Duty but like headshots mean way more than body shots and leg shots and things like that and the respawns are pretty good because it's like old school respawns where like you respawn on one specific side of the map depending on the team you're on so there is no like serious spawn killing people are popping in all over the map and Everyone's just farming this area and that area. It's like, you know, it's like real, like old, old school Counter-Strike. So you, I, I've seen the complaint that this game feels old. It feels dated in its design approach. I think that's a really valid criticism. You can say this game feels fundamentally like gameplay design from 2006. And I would say, eh, you're not wrong. To me, it feels like a modernized version of a gameplay loop, but that's that's weird to say that almost because it's like, yeah, well, Halo feels like a game from 2000. I mean, obviously, Halo's evolved. They've added sprinting. They've made the game more open world. The grapple hook changes things. They add gameplay elements to really change it up for sure. But like, I don't know, at the core of Halo, it's been the same game for six main shooters for six main entries. So like, what? What? I don't understand that criticism in that regard. You know, it's like, that's why they have the classic in the in the modern mode is because classic is like, what you used to play back in the day modern is like that experience but now we have aim down sights now we have sprinting now we have more modern features and we have skills that you can attribute we have like some kind of kill streak per um, system I, I won't get too much more into the ins and outs of the games but i will say this i'm finding this game to be incredible an incredible amount of fun i have not jumped into the campaign yet 
I bought the $25 pack that comes with both campaign chapters and the battle pass because I want to experience all the content. I'm loving this game and I want the battle pass. Um, I will say I am aware that there's a huge issue, an unacceptable issue going on with Game Pass right now where the first, there's two parts of the campaign. The first part is supposed to be included with Game Pass, but it's been glitched since the game launched. And for some reason, you cannot download and play it for free with Game Pass like you're supposed to be able to. It's still asking you to buy it. This is a huge problem. And I cannot believe Microsoft and Smilegate haven't gotten this figured out yet. It's still, it's taken them almost a week and still not done. So that is unacceptable right there. I will give people that complaint that's absurdly valid. But you only get one of the two halves of the campaign through Game Pass. You have to buy the second half anyway. So for me, I was like, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to finish Far Cry 6 before I even jump into the campaign. So I just paid the $25 for the inaugural bundle, which came with both halves of the campaign plus the battle pass. To me, I was like, 25 bucks. this is absolutely worth it. I will easily get my money's worth out of this game because I'm addicted to this multiplayer. This is easily going to be one of my most played games uh, for a while now. And when I'm done with Far Cry 6, which I'm still chipping away at, I will definitely come back to Crossfire X and, and beat the campaign as well, which for now I have no comment on. That's the part that Respawn Entertainment made. I'm hearing a lot of people, reviewers say that that part is also very bad. It feels like a contract gig Respawn took just to make some money and that they didn't have the time and resources to make something special. And it's a pretty bad game. But again, they also said the multiplayer is shit. So I'm going to reserve judgment until I experience it for myself. But just in the meantime, guys, I know anytime you look up Crossfire X right now, you're going to see people really shitting on this game. I implore you, if you have the time and the patience and the inclination to to want to get into this game, to want to give it a try, to want to give it a fair shake, because maybe you're a first-person shooter fan and you're just looking for something new to try, I will tell you, fuck around with the sensitivity. They've actually changed the sensitivity already since the game initially launched. And I think now, now it's by default a little slower, and so you have to bump up the sensitivity. But tweak the controls, play around with them until they feel better for you. Give the game some, uh, some a chance. I think the modern mode is more accessible. Try the point capture mode or the search and destroy mode. Uh, they're very good. Give, give it a couple matches. See what you think. I think some of you might be surprised this game. You know, it's it's no Call of Duty. It's no Halo. It's not the best, highest quality shooter on the market. But I think this game is way better than people are giving it credit for. And I think that's really unfortunate. I, real quick, just to end it, I wrote a couple of notes, just pros and cons. Yeah, you play around the settings, play a couple matches, tweak the sensitivity. You'll find that movement and in, in controls are way better than people are making it out to be. It has a crouch jump kind of thing in classic mode to help get you up to large, higher ledges and stuff, which feels so Halo 3. And I fucking love it, especially for playing that mode. I forget the name of it, but it's so awesome. Where one side is like the counter terrorists and they have like guns and shit in the, in the terrorist side is like all like ninja style they only have knives and they're all invisible and you have to like try to kill the other team and it's fucking awesome and it's really fun to use like the crouch jump like halo 3 to kind of like hide as a ninja and get yourself into weird spots and take out your enemies whatever the gameplay is just so addicting as hell the time to kill is fast the respawns are pretty balanced on like call of duty so it gives you like that cod kind of dopamine hit while also not being as as punishing the campaign is not working on game pass as we already mentioned Battle pass progression is bullshit. For some reason, the battle pass is tied to time played instead of like progression points earned. So every battle pass tier passes for every one hour of gameplay you spend in the game. So it's terrible. I'm level eight on the battle pass because I played for like seven and a half hours. It's fucking terrible. I wish they would fix that. Uh, the controls definitely do need some work, but I also think people need to understand this is trying to be a tactical game. It's supposed to have heavy recoil. It's supposed to be a little more precise. It's not supposed to be 
like, again, like laser shots like Halo. So I think people need to set their expectations. I went and played Counter-Strike Go just to confirm that's how this kind of game plays. And I can confirm if you're going to if you're going to blame. I see people blaming this game saying, like, why don't my hits register? Why are hitboxes so broken? Man, why is this? Why? It's like, no, no, it's the recoil. Go play Counter-Strike with a PC, with a keyboard and a mouse. You'll have the same issue. You just got to learn the guns and learn the patterns. It's how this kind of game works. And then I will also say, I've seen a lot of people report bugs. Other than the Game Pass campaign bug, which is a huge problem, I haven't experienced any bugs. The menu can be pretty laggy sometimes once you're going into post-game for a minute. But I'm seeing people like report serious gameplay bugs. I haven't experienced any of this shit, so I don't know what people are talking about there. I'm sure some people are seriously experiencing this. I just... Luckily, in my eight hours or so of gameplay, have not come across it. But the final thing is, yes, the game is really light on content. I don't care. It's a free-to-play multiplayer game. I will wait for more content. I would be upset if I spent $60 on this game and that were the case, but whatever, man. I don't... For 25 bucks, I got a battle pass in two two-hour campaigns, so I've got like four to five hours of campaign to go through, plus the season battle pass for 25 bucks, and the rest of the game is free. I'm happy. There's a great selection of guns, lots of characters to play and unlock, lots of things to unlock, lots of weekly challenges, daily challenges, and every mode being tied to a specific unique map I think is pretty cool. Last thing I'll say is the nano mode, which is basically the zombie mode, is absolute horseshit. That mode sucks. I will not defend that mode. That mode has so much work to get to do before it's even remotely playable so i will not defend that but man i i don't know this might make me look bad i i don't care i love crossfire x it is a very imperfect game if i had to score it just based on the multiplayer only what i've played so far i'd say this game is probably a six out of ten but perfect example of how a game doesn't need to be technically perfect or great for it to be a great game. This game is has tons of room for improvement, tons of issues. Um, but in my opinion, it is so much fun to play, such a f- breath of fresh air, and such a welcome addition to Game Pass, for me at least, that I... I I, I, I recommend this game. I think it's fun. It's definitely not for everyone, but I think there are a lot of people who really like this game who aren't experiencing it right now because they're doing the thing where they're just seeing what all the all the cool guys on Twitter and YouTube are saying, and they're just like, oh, instead of giving this game a try, even you know for free because it's already included in my Game Pass subscription, I'm just going to adopt this content creator or commentator's opinion as fact because I, I guess I don't want to use my brain and decide for myself. So... I'm not saying, you know, I don't not accusing anyone here of doing that. I'm just saying don't don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. If this game has any interest to you at all, give it a try. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. But I think this game's way better than people giving it credit for. All right. That's it for what I've been playing, guys. With that out of the way, let let us jump into the news of which, you know, not a terribly big news week, but this week I'm just excited about Crossfire, so that's all I care about. So fuck you. Let's go now. Okay, so not a crazy news week, but we got a handful of stories to get through here. So, our first one, and this is uh, Cyberpunk-related, coming from VGC. Cyberpunk 2077's long-awaited new-gen console version is now out. It's been confirmed alongside a significant patch for the existing platforms as, as last-gen consoles and PC. Furthermore, the free 5-hour trial version is available to all Xbox users and PlayStation console users, with progression carrying over to the full game. That's only for next-gen users, so Series X and S and PlayStation 5. The trial will be available for 30 days until March 15th, so so get in now if you want to give the game a try before you buy. The Xbox Series X version of Cyberpunk 2077 will feature ray tracing features, 4K resolution graphics with dynamic scaling, faster load times, and a variety of other visual and technical improvements, according to CD Projekt Red. The versions are available today as either a new purchase or a free upgrade for owners of Xbox One. 
versions of the game. Xbox users will download the new version automatically. Oh, but this is funny. But PlayStation users will have to re-download the newer game. God, PlayStation's got to get that figured out. Anyway, both Xbox Series X and PS5 versions of Cyberpunk 2077 will have 4K 60fps performance mode at 4K 30fps ray tracing mode. Meanwhile, Xbox Series S will run at 1440p 30fps. Not bad. Patch 1.5 will add fixes and improvements across all platforms, the developer said in a live stream on Tuesday, including a completely reworked perk tree, will be significantly different enough that player load times uh, existing saves will need to be redistributed there. Oh my god, that sentence is written horribly. The perk tree are designed to make combat fairer and remove less useful abilities. It said as well as adding new features such as knife throwing. Finally, CD Projekt Red also said that it's made the world more active in new gen consoles and on pc with more npcs that react to players for example by engaging in combat the players pull a weapon vehicle traffic is also said to be more realistic as it was not in the base game other notable improvements affect dating sleeping along with other changes to liven up the gameplay experience so and the biggest thing here is that Obviously, just the launch of it, how they did it, kind of stealthily. Now, we knew something was coming soon. Originally, they said something at some point early to spring-ish 2022. So, we knew this update was at least somewhat imminent. But I think this was the way to do it, which is just kind of be like, guys, get your head down, get, get your heads down, get to work. Let's fix this broken thing we put out there and just be like, when we're ready to launch it, we will launch it. Instead of being like, all right, here's a live stream announcing when we're announcing, because that wouldn't have gone over well. This is, um, I don't know why I didn't think this was like what they were going to do, but I'm I'm pleasantly surprised to see this was their approach, is to just be like, hey, here it is, it's out now, please don't hate us as much as you hate us, although we have good reason to hate you. I, I'm happy to see this is out. Now, I'm still seeing people complain about bugs and issues and, and performance stuff going on. I am sure it is significantly less bad than what we were dealing with when the game first came out but i mean again the game's technically been out for over a year now and it's just come on guys uh, obviously a any game you had to account for some level of jank and bugs and shit like that but like this game needs to be in a highly playable state considering where <laughs> what it launched like so um i i don't know man i am glad that it's finally out this update and I'm sure they'll continue to support with a lot more content, further patches and updates and bug fixes. But man, oh man, a year plus later, I am so, so uninterested in this. I uh, I will definitely play this game when uh, when it's, when it's I feel like it. I, I want to say now, but no, I'm, I'm playing Far Cry 6. I'm playing Crossfire X. I'm good. I'm good. But I'm glad they finally made good on this promise. It's just I'm still thinking about all those Xbox One players and PS4 players who are completely fucked over because the game is still kind of shit on those consoles, especially if you're talking about, like, a base PS4 or Xbox One. Like, what about those guys? Like, cool, they get a free upgrade to the Series X or the PS5 version if they upgrade consoles, but, like, they didn't buy a, a Series X or PS5 version of the game. They bought a PS4 or an Xbox One version of the game. So, like, make right on your fucking promise to make this game work. And I just, I feel like they're kind of getting away with it now because the whole word is on how the game's running on the new consoles, but like, what about the old consoles? There are more PS4s than Xbox Ones, PlayStation 5s, and Xbox Series X and S units all combined, which means this game's selling really, probably sold really, really well on the PS4. And what about those players? Just fuck them, I guess? Like, I don't know. So I would like to see more on what they're doing on that side of things, but I'm glad this update is out. 
I assume this will probably be like a summer game I'll get around to at some point. I'm excited that I can now play it, you know, now that it's like, you know, I, I, it wasn't running as bad on my on my Series X. I played about an hour and a half of it just to test it. And I know a lot of people who have Series X were saying, you know, the game doesn't look beautiful on Series X, but it performs and runs just fine. And I, that was my experience as well. I could have played the game just fine on my Xbox, but knowing that it was you know, not what the game was supposed to be, that there was an update on the way and that it was going to drastically overhaul things. I was like, you know what? I will gladly wait for the proper release and then just play it when it's ready. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I did that. But man, the ship has sailed. At this point, I'm just not excited, not enthusiastic, not interested. And I wonder, you know, how many... The game obviously made tons and tons of money. They're going to be fine. But I wonder how many people are in that boat where it just kind of sucks. They, they bought the game or they wanted to play the game and now it's just like, ah... You know, the, you, the opportunities missed. So I don't know, man. Better late than never, but um, I still like to see some kind of update on what they're gonna do for all those people that got completely fucked over for buying the game, for for buying the game on uh on PS4. You know, back when it first launched. All right, next we got a kind of a two for one here, where we got two games that are reportedly being remade, remastered, launching soon, reportedly. So I'll, we'll just go one by one. But VGC has reported that an HD remaster of the N64 Classic GoldenEye 007 could be revealed soon during the next few weeks, it's been claimed. That's according to VentureBeat journalist Jeff Grubb, who stated in his premium giant bomb show, Grub Snacks, translated by VGC, that he believes Microsoft has likely announced a new revival rather than original pub- than the original publisher Nintendo. This news matches a source that has also been reported with v- corroborated with VGC. Jeff Grubb said, I think Microsoft's going to be the one to announce that first. He said, I think that the game is probably coming pretty soon. I'm thinking the next couple of weeks. GoldenEye 007 has infamously been somewhat of a lethal of a legal nightmare to re-release in the past, with the right holders Nintendo, Microsoft, and MGM theoretically all acquired and approved the new version of the N64 Classic. However, 2022 marks the 60th anniversary of the James Bond franchise, leading many to speculate that the most iconic video game in the franchise's history could finally re-release as part of the celebration. There's some evidence it could happen. In January, Rare developers were spotted unlocking Xbox achievements for GoldenEye 007, implying that previous canceled 360 remaster could finally be officially releasing for modern platforms. Last year was confirmed that Microsoft had shelved an already completed remaster of the N64 game for the 360, following licensing issues and communications between license holders and a young team who rushed ahead to create it, despite a deal for the game never having even been signed. A work Working build of the game was leaked onto file sharing sites in early 2021, allowing those to access files and play it via a modded console PC emulator. And at the time, VGC reviewed the leaked version of GoldenEye on Xbox and said that it was the greatest remaster that you'll probably never play. So I can't help but think that if this wasn't Xbox and Nintendo and MGM, this could be figured out easily. It would be something like one of these console manufacturers would renew the license with MGM or work out a deal and then remaster it and we'd be good. Because I think MGM would be pretty keen or eager to work with Nintendo or Microsoft on this. You know, money. They just get a kickback. What what do they care? They want that money. But here's the thing is, we see Nintendo and Microsoft playing so nice with each other these days that I can't imagine, or I can't imagine rather, that you could see something where, I, I feel like this is how it would go. Microsoft would pay MGM the the rights to get the game back on their portion and then do pay the bill, make the remaster and all that. And in exchange for all that, they would put the game on Xbox through Game Pass and also on the Nintendo Switch eShop. And that would be Nintendo's deal. So Microsoft would get Nintendo degree by being like, hey, we'll pay the licensing thing. We'll remake the game. We'll put it out there. We'll do all the money stuff. 
but we'll put it on Nintendo so you get a kickback. You know, you'll be on Switch, you'll be available there. Are you guys cool with that? And Nintendo would be like, yeah, sure, we're okay with that. And MGM would be like, oh, yeah, money, yes, we'll do that. And I think Microsoft would be absolutely fine with that. I, I feel like this is, assuming that these sources are to be believed and this is something that's coming in the next few weeks, which I, I believe, I think that is very likely to be the case, that this is probably something where Microsoft footed the bill in the development cost and time, and they're going to play, and, and this is all ployed to get Nintendo to play nice and say yes, because Nintendo will be the hardest one to get a yes from. And they're going to put the game on the Nintendo eShop and Xbox Live, and it's going to be awesome. And I think it's really cool. That's, that's my guess. That's my theory. That's my hunch. I think we'll find out about it probably in the next two or three weeks. But yeah, that's a, that's a cool way to celebrate, you know, 60th anniversary, James Bond, whatever. Give people the, the James Bond game they think they're all, they all love so much, but it turns, turns out it's not that good. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure GoldenEye is actually a pretty decent game once you fix the control issue. Once you basically reinvent the control scheme for the game, I'm sure it actually is a fine game. And in fact, I would even like to give it a go. But yeah, I mean, I don't know really what else to say to this. I, if Jeff Grubb and VGC, two incredibly reliable sources, are saying that they have sources backing this up and it's probably happening, I'm inclined to believe it's probably happening. And if if the hang-up has always been li- license rights have been cut between Microsoft, Nintendo, and MGM because Rare developed the game and Rare at the time was owned by Nintendo and now Rare is owned by Microsoft. And then, of course, MGM is the owner of the 007 license. Then you got to assume that's what's going on because I don't see a world in which Nintendo wanted to make this happen and paid the licensing money and tried to get on Xbox. No way in hell. And I don't see a world where MGM tried to make this happen. I, th- I think this is a thing where... Maybe this is a, a shelled project from a long time ago, and they're using the 60th anniversary as a marketing opportunity to be like, hey, now's the time. Approve this. Work with us. Make this happen. So this will be a fun nostalgic grab. I think this will get a lot of good press and goodwill. Um, should be interesting. Should be fun to watch. I, I'm interested in giving the game a try. Next up, and continuing with VGC, it's reported that Capcom's remake of Resident Evil 4 will reportedly be revealed this year. And will make some changes to the setting of the original game. That's according to a new fanbyte report. Fuck you, fanbyte. Corroborated with VGC report from last year, which claims Capcom is planning to adjust the tone of the classic Resi game, Resident Evil game, instead of developing a shot-for-shot remake like the original title of the original title. VGC reported in 2021 that there were internal disagreements with Capcom about the direction of the project, but within the company's own production team, preferred to develop a game that was inspired by the original but incorporate, incorporates elements of Resident Evil 2's Mr. X, was given as an example. Fanbyte now rep- reports that one of the elements that will change the game's opening sequence will take place at night. Quote Resident Evil 4 Remake, a famous village introduction set piece, uh, takes place at night, as as does a decent portion of the rest of the game, the publication states. Fanbyte also reports that Capcom hopes to reveal the game this year. As reported by VGC in 2020, Capcom greenlit RE4 Remake following the success of RE2 and RE3 Remake. So... This is another one where I'm like, I mean, we don't even need these reports to know that Resident Evil 4 is a remake is absolutely happening. And I mean, you can actually just look at the track record and know it's happening because you look back, it's been last year, 2021, they did Resident Evil 8 or Village. The year before that, it was Resident Evil 3 remake. The year before that, it was um, Resident Evil 2 remake, right? And then the year before that, it was Resident Evil 7 They've been on this annualized kick with Resident Evil, so I find it hard to believe that at the very least uh, Resident Evil 4 will will be um, announced and confirmed this year. So Remember, there's also that multiplayer mode to Resident Evil Village that never launched that was supposed to then be tied in sometime earlier this year. So I think we got some Resident Evil stuff that's on the horizon absolutely for sure. Now, 
they're you know the real stuff that divulge here is the changes to the game and all that. I don't know. That's a that's a hard one to, because Resident Evil Four is widely considered the, the Resident Evil game that ushered in the modern era of Resident Evil. So it's like I think a lot of people want to keep that pure gameplay experience intact. But you look at what a good job they've done with Resident Evil's two and three remake, and you can't help but think. I mean, give Resident Evil Four that treatment, right? It's a no brainer. So I don't know. That's that's a curious one. Per- personally, I think Resident Evil Four. I'm like played on Oculus, played in VR. That's the way to play that game. Not that I played it yet. I, I really want to, but um, I don't know, man. I uh, I definitely believe this is something we're gonna get announced for probably by E3 time, regardless whatever show gets to take the place of E3 or happens during E3 time. But I think that's a hundred percent a reveal we're gonna get. the The bigger question is, do you think it's something that will release this year? Usually, Resident Evil games release I don't know, like around May ish. So. I don't know. It's kind of weird to think. I think they might take a year off and it might release next year. And then this year we would just get that multiplayer component to Resident Evil 8 that never launched last year. So that way they could sell like a Resident Evil project a year. Um, but I don't know, man. I think this game is for sure on the horizon. There's no doubt about it. It's 100% real. Don't don't even need to really question that. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a bigger project to overhaul compared to like Resident Evil 2. So, you know, it takes longer longer amount of time. That's understandable. And also it looks like there's some internal debate about how to approach the preservation of this title. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they what they come up with. But, dude, I, I say you take liberties with it, whatever. Resident Evil 4 is a game that is well-preserved because it's been ported to every fucking piece of hardware ever. So I, I say this is your opportunity to take some liberties with it and do some things differently. But that's just me. Now, we only have two more stories left, but they're both kind of like wrap-up data stories and not really like, you know, story stories. So next up, the NPD numbers are in for the month of January 2020. Along with it are the top 20 best-selling games for the month. And I want to just read out some of the notable uh, some of the notable releases here. I would like to say the number one, the number one game was Pokemon Legends Arceus. Keep in mind, Nintendo does not include digital sales. So the fact that Nintendo got the number one spot with this game only being on market for a few days of the month and not including digital sales still hit number one shows you just what a huge deal a game like Legends Arceus is. I think they said it sold like 5 million copies in its first week. That is absolutely astonishing. Uh, number two was Call of Duty Vanguard, which was the number one spot last month and will probably be the number one spot in starting in February or March and, and maintain that again. But remember, we all like to say Vanguard flopped, Activision's fucked, Call of Duty's a failing game. No, this is the best-selling game of 2021, probably the best-selling game of 2022 until Modern Warfare 2 comes out later in the year. So, again, Activision's not fucked. Uh, Number three game was Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, And then we had, I guess they had some kind of DLC release or expansion or something. That's that's a crazy one. Uh, NFL... Madden NFL 22, God of War at, tw- at the fifth spot because it's on PC now. Other notable Xbox-related content, Rainbow Six uh, Extraction hit the number nine spot, and Battlefield 2042 hit the number 10 spot, Far Cry 6 at 12, Minecraft at 13. Minecraft just always up there, man. Uh, NBA 2K22 at 14. Forza Horizon 5 was at number 17, and Halo Infinite was at number 18. Now, that's... Especially for Forza Horizon 5, that's 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 really impressive considering the game's been out for a few months and it's available in Game Pass, but people are still buying it. 
Halo Infinite, that is a huge drop-off. It is number 18 this month, but last month it was number two. Now, in December, that was a really impressive number because the game launched into Game Pass. You did not have to buy it, and the part you buy is only the campaign because the multiplayer is free-to-play, and it was still the second best-selling game of the, of the, the, the month in December. That was really, really impressive, only beaten out by Call of Duty Vanguard, a game that is only available through purchase. No free multiplayer, no free campaign, no Game Pass. So that was really impressive for Halo, but it has had a huge fall off. It's at 18 now. That that just goes to show, you know, part of what people are talking about with the Halo Infinite and just kind of falling off the off a cliff right now with player base. Nah, that's not great. And then finally, the number 20 spot was Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Hey, that's my game hanging in there. It was 26 in December and then 20 in, in January. So look at it. It's just selling so well despite all the all the other shit. Dude, I love that game. You keep going, Black Ops Cold War. You fucking rock. So some interesting uh, data, especially with Halo. And then finally, we've got uh, some news about new Game Pass games, new games available today. So Mass Effect Legendary Edition is now available through uh, Cloud Play. It was already available in Game Pass for console, but now it's available through Cloud. Coming soon, we've got Lawnmower Simulator coming to Xbox One sometime, I believe, February 17th. Continuing with February 17th, we've got Madden NFL 22 coming to console and PC. Total War Warhammer 3 coming to PC, available day one on Game Pass. Uh, I want to. I should download that. RoboQuest coming game preview on PC February 22nd, and on February 24th, happy birthday Zeke. We got Galactic Civilizations 3 and Super Mega Baseball 3 on console through EA Play, and then finally on February 28th through EA Play on PC only, we get Alice Madness Returns. Now we are leaving. A few, we're leaving, losing a few games. So on February 28th, we'll be losing the following four titles. Hypnosis Outlaw on Cloud Console and PC. Killer Queen Black on Cloud and Console. I never played that on Xbox, but I have it on Steam. Stealth Inc. 2 on Cloud and Console and uh, Tuho Luna Knights. I can't I can't be saying that right. Cloud Console and PC. It's going. Bye-bye. Play them now if you want to play them. Otherwise, forever hold your peace. Guys, that's it for our news this week. Let's jump into the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not enough to warrant their own discussion, of which we have a handful. So the first one I want to say is we missed this last week. It happened like right before the podcast. And I missed it. But Atomic Hearts, the upcoming science fiction-themed first-person shooter developed and published by indie developer Munfish, has officially been given a release window for later this year in 2022. After many years in development, they, they're teasing an October, November, or December, or September release date. So somewhere between September and December, the game is, is scheduled to launch. So if you guys don't know what Atomic Hearts is, it's launching into Game Pass when it comes out at the end of the year. Oh my god, this game looks amazing. It looks like um dude, it looks like Stalker meets Bioshock meets fucking so many games and it looks so 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 good. I want to play this game so bad. Look up the trailer if you haven't seen it yet. This game looks phenomenal. Speaking of Bioshock, VGC reports that Netflix has teamed up with a video game publisher Take 2 to create a Bioshock film which was announced this week. Quote, Netflix, 2K and Take-Two Interactive are partnering to produce a film adaptation of the renowned video game franchise. Uh, said said uh, Netflix. While no further details about the project were shared, the tweet was accompanied by a quote from Bioshock antagonist Andrew Ryan, an imagery of an iconic Big Daddy character in an underwater setting of Rapture. Next up, the original composer of Halo's iconic music has sued Microsoft over alleged unpaid royalties dating back 20 years. Marty O'Donnell told Eurogamer that half that that he and fellow composer Mike Salvatore uh, filed a lawsuit in June 2020 after spending 10 years 
failing to make headway in discussions with Microsoft over the claims. The composer says license that they licensed the Halo music to the original Halo developer Bungie, which went on to be acquired by Microsoft ahead of the launch of the franchise in 01. At the time of the acquisition, O'Donnell said that he'd become a full-time Bungie employee serving as the studio's audio director. Salvatore remained independent working with O'Donnell. Microsoft is reportedly arguing that Halo music was created under a work-for-hire agreement rather than a licensing one, and therefore it qualifies as the author of the work. It was never work-for-hire, O'Donnell claimed, always licensed deal. So we will give you an update on if anything comes of that. Next up, speaking of Halo, look how these all tie in. Ahead of a Season 1 release, 343 have announced that it's already confirmed that a second season of the Halo TV show is coming. We've already known that several seasons of the show were planned, but Season 2 is absolutely now in the works with David Weiner, best known for his work on The Brave New World and Fear the Walking Dead, at the helm as executive producer. And then speaking of uh, sequels being greenlit before other sequels even come out, Deadline reports that a third Sonic the Hedgehog movie is reportedly in development already. Not only that, but a Knuckles the Echidna spinoff series is in the works for Paramount Plus streaming service with Idris Elba set to return in the lead role. So, hey, as a Sonic cuckold, cuckold, I'll take it. Netflix is getting Sonic Prime, a new animated Sonic show. Uh, Paramount Plus is getting a new Knuckles show. I am, I'll take all the Sonic content I can get. Thank you very much. You like how I did that, though? Like how I did that? Atomic Hearts, which is Bioshock-like, led into Bioshock TV movie news, which led into Halo music news, which led into Halo TV news, which led into Sonic movie news. All very interconnected. I'm very intelligent like that. I have a very high IQ to be able to pull things off like that. I'm sure you guys are incredibly impressed, probably all telling your girlfriends and spouses and partners and friends all about you know the fact that I'm able to do that, telling them, hey... You better learn some cool tricks like this guy or else I'm going to leave you and it's going to be all over for you. So, guys, come on. Give them a break. They're, they're only human. But, guys, let's talk about some new games releasing this week. There aren't many really worth mentioning other than Total Warhammer Warhammer 3 on PC February 17th. Definitely worth checking out. The King of Fighters coming to Xbox Series X and S February 16th. What is that? King of Fighters 15. I suck at Roman numerals. Uh, that's a notable one. And then... Super Toy Cars Off-Road. That, that just looks like a Jesse game. That looks really cute, actually. I kind of want to play that. But, uh, yeah, some notable games we're taking a look at. And then as a reminder for Games of Gold, you guys, we've got a couple games here in February that are available for you as a, as a gold subscriber. you got Broken Sword 5 available for the rest of the month. you got Aerial Knights Never Yield, which is available now until March 15th. you got Hydrophobia, which is no longer available because you fucking missed out. And Band of Bugs available until the 28th. So download them now while you still can. But, guys... That's going to do it for another episode of the Xbox on podcast. If if anything, I want you to take away this week, go play Crossfire X. It's not bad. Your friends are wrong. Your favorite podcaster is wrong. Your favorite games website is wrong. It's a good game. It's like Sonic Unleashed. It's just misunderstood. It just needs a friend. Will you be that friend? And while I wait for your response, I want you guys to take this next week to to be safe, take care of yourselves, be nice to others, but most importantly, how are your dreams?
reminds me of